0: So Namaskar to everyone. I teach at Miranda House, Delhi University. I studied at JNU. My post-graduation is from School of International Studies in JNU. And uh, my areas of interest are policy. And uh, I have done a lot of uh, extensive ground research in Jammu, Kashmir and Ladakh. And very obviously, when the Citizenship Amendment Act came out and when the entire Debate on uh, CAA was uh, uh, in our country, so uh, being a policy area, this uh, I followed this debate very closely and uh, it logically re- led on to us teaming up and I would like to introduce you to the team also. The book, uh, Delhi Rides 2020, A Ground Story has three authors, uh, we don't call ourselves co-authors, we call ourselves authors, all three of us are equal contributors, authors here. Uh, Monica Aroda uh, is an advocate. She represents uh, the Government of India uh, and JNU as a standing counsel in the Delhi High Court and the Supreme High Court. And some of her key cases, she is a a very prolific uh, lawyer and uh, social influencer as well as writer. I have just picked up her key cases. She had uh, taken up the case in which there was a documentary made uh, on uh, Nirbhaya's rapists. I think everybody would remember that. So she intervened there uh, with a plea that uh, Nirbhaya was being shown in a poor light. Then she has also worked uh, on banning of posters on public walls in Delhi, getting Sanskrit its rightful place in Kendra Vidyanas. I have just mentioned these three key cases. Otherwise, her uh, achievements run into a couple of pages, at least. Uh, Prerna Malotra teaches English at Delhi University. She's a public speaker and uh, uh, she is also uh, very much a social influencer. The book, The Delhi Riots 2020, Delhi 2020 uh, The uh, Untold Story, uh, basically is based on this incident of writing uh, which uh, broke out in Northeast Delhi on 23rd February 2020. Those of us uh, here in the audience who are from Delhi would uh, know uh, firsthand uh, the experience of this disturbance. Uh, violence in the area continued primarily till 25th February 2020 and there were also incidents reported on 26th February uh, after which uh, it was tapering off. We are a ta- we are an organization, a group of women called Group of Intellectuals and Academicians and we went to the field from 29th February till 10th March. There were five members of this research team which went into uh, the field. Uh, the other two members are also teachers in delhi university uh, shruti mishra and dr shruti mishra and dr divyansh sharma so based on this we uh, submitted a report to the minister of state for home affairs um, g kishan reddy and on, uh, and this was done on 11th march 2020 the book is based on this ground report so Basically, what are the, as soon as the riots broke out in Delhi, uh, that was a time that uh, the uh, President of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, was in India. And uh, so we saw the media pick it up, not just the national media, but the international media also pick up this issue and uh, there was a whole there was a huge narrative created now this narrative continues to date because this is not an issue which is died out it is not a small riot or a small incident but an entire narrative that was constructed around february last week of february 2020 It has continued with a uh, huge push. And just two days ago, the Amnesty International has also come out with a report on these riots. So what are the main elements of the narrative? Uh, The core thrust of the narrative is that what happened in Delhi in February 2020 uh, was a Muslim pogrom, and it was not a riot. So correspondingly, uh, the narrative goes like this, that there were Hindutva forces behind the riot. I would also like to point out here that very often uh, it is called Hindu forces, not just Hindutva forces, though I would not go into a discussion about uh, whether these are interchangeable or whether even uh, Hindutva is a right uh, kind of a labeling. At least the uh, narrative that is built around the term Hindutva is a right uh, kind of a narrative, because that would be a digression. But primarily, you see that uh, the narrative says that Hindutva forces were behind the riot. Uh, A very key element in Uh, The narrative is that the hate speech, uh, this should have been with an inverted commas, uh, of Kapil Mishra at Jafrabad on 23rd February 2020 started the riot. A corresponding uh, part of the narrative is that the Delhi police was centrally active in anti-Muslim violence in Northeast Delhi. So all these four elements of the narrative fit in into a larger narrative of an anti-Muslim state in India. Uh, so let's look at, uh, let's try and deconstruct, let's look at the narrative uh, a little more closely. Uh, a Small portion of my uh, interaction today would be devoted to uh, talking about uh, the narrative about the Delhi riots 2020 as a Muslim pogrom. As per government data, and this is uh, this is the data taken out from an affidavit filed by the Delhi police in the uh, high court. Uh, I haven't put in the uh, picture of the uh, data because uh, the resolution was not OK. But uh, I'm, I have taken these from either. I'm giving you the source. So uh, 53 persons died in the riots in Northeast Delhi. That's what the Delhi police affidavit says. And 70%, 77% of the civilians killed, 40 out of 52 were Muslim, while the remaining 23% or 12 were Hindu. These, this is a declaration that the Delhi police has made uh, in the court. The 53rd victim was a policeman, head constable Ratan Lal. And though uh, I don't know why this distinction has been made, but basically uh, the larger uh, picture is that Three three quarters of those killed were Muslims. Now, these figures are used to say that this was a Muslim pogrom. We will be discussing these figures in detail later on. I will also come to uh, a little bit of theory so that we uh, are able to understand the issue better. The the second part of the... um, I would I would request you not to look at the uh, band in red uh, uh, in the bottom. I wasn't able to delete that, but those figures, that interpretation doesn't stand. So whoever is watching, uh, please do not uh, look at those figures. Uh, this is uh, the list of properties destroyed. Again, this is a list of properties that was the affidavit uh, that was submitted by the Delhi police to the Delhi High Court contains this annexure and this has been taken from there at the moment I just wanted to put a focus on the fatalities and the property damage because these are two key elements which are used to uh, categorize any uh, incident of communal violence as a pogrom I come to uh, now I come to discussions of what really is a pogrom. We've got the empirical evidence in front of us. We have got whatever uh, data that is in the public domain. We just discussed that in the last two slides. Uh, let us have a little bit of a discussion on whether the usage of the term pogrom is um, valid or does it uh, have to be, you know, uh, we will obviously, if the word is being used in a re- narrative, it has to be studied, deconstructed. So, I have, uh, in the definition that I have given, also given you the source. It is a document that is written by Paul Brass, a very well-known political scientist. So he says that a riot is a spontaneous intergroup mass action. And he calls a pogrom a deliberately organized, I have highlighted the word, state-supported killings and the other keywords are destruction of property of a targeted group okay so uh, he further goes on to say that there are three phases in a pogrom: preparation or rehearsal activation and enactment and explanation and interpretation so uh, preparation and rehearsal are categorized as continuous activities and then for activation and enactment the second phase certain important elements are there we look whether there is we have to look for political mobilization and one of the uh, one of the instances where political mobilization does occur is electoral competition uh, and in situations of an election then again, what is the nature of this mobilization? That's very important as well. Please, uh, we will come back to this, but we need to remember these uh, arguments uh, when we start analyzing uh, the riots that happened in February in Northeast Delhi. So uh, what is the nature of this political mobilization? It is such that there is a call for solidarity in the face of a rival communal group. So these are the three phases. and. A targeted group, the last slide, I will come back again. So deliberately organized, state-sponsored, destruction of the property of a targeted group. These are the key words we need to remember, okay? So like I said earlier, we will discuss the first keyword that the riot, that a pogrom is deliberately organized, the targeted group, of course, we know the narrative says that the targeted group is Muslims. There is, uh, they they are very clear on that. They do not look into any other casualties or any other losses. But the focus of the narrative, which has been built by the international media and academia, is on uh, Muslims as a targeted group. I next come to the issue of deliberate organization. So, who organized the Hindutva forces? That is what the narrative says. Okay. Now, what is the evidence that this narrative is built on? When you say that such and such group organized a pogrom, there has to be evidence for that. You cannot just, uh, you know, say it. It's not not a lie or a statement that can be, um, you know, that can become a truth if uh, repeatedly, uh, you know, um, uh, pushed in and spoken of. Okay, so who built, who who deliberately organized the Hindutva forces, but there has to be evidence. So what is the evidence? What kind of evidence could be there? There is literally no evidence. Do we have traces or do we have evidence that Hindutva forces, however you define them, were stockpiling weapons? That would be the preliminary preparation organization that any group that wanted to uh, organize a program would do. So there is no evidence on field or in secondary sources of uh, stockpiling of weapons by Hindutva forces. There are two ways that you can deliberately organize. You can organize arms. You can mobilize. There is also no trace of mobilization by Hindutva forces, whatever you define them as, before 23rd February 2020, you will not see evidences of them being out on the streets in large groups, uncontrollable mobs, or engaging in any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of uh, transmission of literature, pamphlets, leaflets, speeches, nothing by so-called Hindutva forces before 23rd February 2020. and. Any mobilization that was evident when we went to the ground was after much after 23rd February, 23rd, 24th, even 25th February. Any mobilization that happened was by local Hindus who were defending their lives and property. And that, that would not count as mobilization in preparation of a pogrom. Now, what is the what is the evidence on the other side that we saw on the uh, ground? Evidence that could uh, you know help you to deconstruct this narrative of these riots being a Muslim pogrom? When we went to the field, and this is all contained in our book, we saw ample evidence on the field of stockpiling of weapons, creating infrastructure for pyro bombardment. Pyro bombardment is an innovation in these riots. Uh, and there was also infrastructure to launch these pyro bombs. They could be acid pouches, they could be, uh, you know, uh, Molotov cocktails, uh, they could be huge stones. We saw all these stockpiled on high rise buildings in the area specifically uh, if you uh, go on to which are the buildings we saw the house of um, councilor tahir hussain where there was such evidence we also saw the rajdhani school in shiv vihar which had evidence of such um, preparation and also in our interviews in our field interviews with locals uh, we were told that The kind of injuries that were suffered by some of the people who died, they showed evidence of sniper type of preparation, uh, the kind of uh, preparation which is used in Syria. This was indicative, but established uh, evidence is now coming out. We uh, have written all this in our book. Uh, Further, uh, let us look at the issue of mobilization, any counter evidence of mobilizations. We spent extensive uh, time in Bhajanpura and also other areas. But when we went to Bhajanpura, we were told that on 24th 24th February, and we met, uh, incidentally, we met uh, people from both communities. Uh, unlike some of the reports and some of the narrative, which has, uh, you know, some of the documents which are there in the public sphere, which exclusively focus on one community, we went across to locals, leaders from both communities. And they told us that on 21st February 2020, large crowds of violent men joined writers from Chand Bagh. Now the Now it is... Those of us who have been to the area would know that there is uh, on one side of the road there is Bhajanpura, then there is a highway, it's not a small road, it's a national highway. And then when you go past two carriageways of the highway, on the other side there is Chandbag. So locals from Bhajanpura told us that the anti-CAA protest site at Chandbag erupted on 24th february 2020 and we have seen uh, there are there are videos in the public domain of crowds crossing over and uh, coming into bhajanpura and, and uh, there is a whole line of shops and houses and establishments and uh, the very well known petrol pump that was uh, shown in uh, videos which are circulating in the uh, public domain now these were attacked they had uh, and, and the crowds were of of the uh, you know they were as large as uh, 10 to 20000 people sudden swelling of crowd happened and this attack this can be categorized as a mobilization so and the attack at to uh, on bhajanpura uh, was thus uh, taken up okay so Uh, this is what the next slide says evidence is there in videos so uh, bhajanpura was overrun and this is where we met many locals who told us local hindus also who told us that the situation was so bad that they were practically left with defending their lives and properties with whatever they could lay their hands on you know maybe a stick that you had in the house and a few men, they uh, came out on the roads in an attempt to ensure that the writers don't enter the market area where the shops, very high value shops are located and then also their houses. Uh, subsequently uh, our report went on 11th of march 2020 and subsequently we also have police investigations uh, based on um, whatever uh, you know forensics they are using which are revealing details of this kind of organization so uh, so the thing here is that one i mean we started with the uh, you know, uh, we started with the uh, narrative that it was a pogrom, uh, a Muslim pogrom, but uh, the evidence which is there on the ground uh, indicates that it was uh, far from a Muslim pogrom. This is definitely not how a Muslim pogrom is going to be organized by uh, groups of anti CA protesters, largely Muslim, uh, coming out on streets and uh, attacking uh, localities. The second part of the narrative rests on the fact that these are state-supported killings. Pogroms are, uh, if you remember the definition that uh, we saw in these slides uh, previously, uh, state-supported killings. Pogroms are distinguished by the fact that they are state-supported killings. That is the point that is used to distinguish a riot, a spontaneous riot from a pogrom. Again, what is the evidence that this was a state supported killing there is literally no evidence that supports this claim that these were state supported killings we found no evidence of state the state arming the rioters there has so far been no evidence of state agencies initiating riots or state agencies trying to escalate these riots so this whole uh, you know uh, narrative that this was a pogrom state supported killings that is called into question now what is the what is the counter evidence for this claim that uh, there is state supported killings one of the most one of the earliest on 24 february 2020 one of the most ghastly uh, ends was met by, death was met by uh, Constable Ratan Lal in Bhajanpura, the place where that I have, I just spoke to you about the road uh, and, you know, the Chand Bagh anti-CAA sites, that was the site where Constable Ratan Lal was uh, practically lynched and shot to death. And again. much later, after we had submitted the report, the, you know, videos of this incident were circulating, but our sources were eyewitnesses, uh, what people saw and what our, uh, you know, what, what our research, uh, what people who were, I don't like to call, I don't like to use the word subjects, but people who assisted in us in the research, people we spoke to our respondents uh, told us. Much later this video is also there in the public domain. Before I come to Ankit Sharma, I have put him here as a representative of state agencies. I would also like to speak about DCP Amit Sharma. And uh, hundreds of policemen, uh, we got the figure of about over 100 policemen who were you know uh, who reported small and big injuries. We all know the case of Amit Sharma, who was accompanied by uh, Constable Ratan Lal and uh, Anuj Sharma, one of his uh, juniors. These three people had uh, people. Uh, the respondents on in location told us that these three had gone to negotiate with writers uh, with anti-CA protesters in Chandbagh, and they were attacked. So rather than rather than a picture of the state engineering these attacks, a reverse picture emerges of the state under attack. So uh, also I have used the term here "gender side" because it was a virtual gender side. Most of the anti cea protesters had a ring of women, uh, you know, who were uh, at the front and supposedly anti ca protest sites have been glorified as a space where women were empowered however i would i mean it's it's very it's very sad to say that there is evidence of a gender side here so uh, Am I audible? Uh, So uh, police and community leaders, we also spoke to, uh, since the role of the police was being uh, and the state agencies was being scrutinized, we spoke to them, we spoke to community leaders, we spoke to the police. And if you look at our book, if you pick it up and see it, there is detailed evidence based on interviews with community leaders, Muslim community leaders, Hindu community leaders who have told us that the police worked with them, tried to establish peace in a situation that was rapidly going out of hand, even before 23rd February 2020. The situation in Northeast Delhi was, there are many times that it came to the brink of a riot. Uh, If you pick a book, there is extensive tabulation of this, and there is also evidence as annexures of the number of times that this Locality came to the brink of a riot uh, starting from 15 December 2020, 2019 to, uh, you know, February 2020. So uh, rather than the picture of uh, the state agencies emerging as the villains of the peace, we have concrete evidence of the state trying to, the police trying to negotiate, trying to work, trying to... Uh, You know, uh, look at it as look at these protests as uh, a demo, you know, uh, you know, within the framework of uh, a democracy, which gives you the uh, right to protest. So uh, the role of the community leaders, I would really like to highlight. Uh, When we went uh, down to the field, many of these uh, community leaders, they told us that uh, outsiders uh, who were leading the anti CAA protests? They had influenced the area residents against the leaders. And this, I would just like to go into this, is in a slight digression, digression here. But this is an important point in understanding how uh, communities in our country, how communities in Northeast Delhi came uh, to the brink of this confrontation. So, uh, in any in any place, in any locality, uh, you know, the role of senior community community leaders is very key, very significant in keeping the community integrated, cohesive. We spoke to uh, residents there. It's not as if, uh, you know, there are no issues between communities, but they're happily and amicably resolved because there are these, uh, you know, few individuals who, act as uh, you know leaders of their communities so therefore there is a huge influence especially amongst the muslims the network runs from senior molanas who you know are there in key institutions madarsas in the area and then you have the network running from the seniors to younger colleagues to you know youth in the locality and this this is the chain which largely keeps a community integrated, cohesive and grounded in that area. Now this is the network that is a prime target of what we in our book have identified as the Urban Naxal Jihadi Network, which was operating in Northeast Delhi and in other areas of Delhi and in other areas of the country. uh now if such networks are targeted, the urban Naxal jihadi combine works very systematically. Our book has demonstrated that. Now, the one, one way to ensure that an area becomes chaotic, community relations in an area become chaotic is when you break down these networks. And these are the networks which are being targeted, which are being targeted by these groups, the urban Naxal and Jihadi groups. So once this relationship broke down, and in northeast Delhi, it broke down somewhere in, uh, according to uh, the respondents in the field, it broke down somewhere around uh, December 2019. And after that, there was uh, no looking back. The area was rapidly spinning into chaos. So uh, these leaders have a legitimacy, they have a position. Our book describes this in detail. I have just spoken about the major points which are there on this slide. I would not like to uh, go back to that. But there is also evidence of the fact that these community relations are sacrosanct and if they break down a situation uh, the situation escalates beyond control and especially in areas like northeast delhi which is a, you know the population density of that area is the highest and also has very high mixed populations localities where very high uh, mixed populations exist so uh, Okay, so that was as far as pogrom that is being deliberately organized in this case against a particular community being the Muslims. And also it being state-sponsored, we have seen how uh, there is very, in fact, there is no evidence of the fact that there was a mobilization by uh, um, the Hindu community targeting the Muslims or there was a mobilization, or there was any extensive preparation, arming, and uh, you know indulgence by the state agencies. So that brings quest- to question this entire narrative of whether this can be called a pogrom directed at the Muslims. There are other rem- elements of the argument that we need to look at. We had, in our uh, previous slides, discussed fatalities amongst the Muslims. We had also discussed how uh, property was destroyed, I will just take up these two uh, points. Now uh, the uh, demography of North East Delhi is a very interesting, uh, you know, brings brings about very interesting uh, uh, insights, you know. Uh, If you look at the 2011 census reports, I'm not quoting the figures exactly because it's not uh, required, but uh, supposedly a 60-40 ratio between Hindus and Muslims. If you look at Northeast Delhi as a whole, but then Northeast Delhi also has uh, certain areas in which the population of Muslims exceeds 70 uh, percent. So there is a 70-30 ratio. I'm talking about it very broadly. I haven't gone into. I'm not. I have not got those figures, but those figures are available in the public domain, and they're also. We have also quoted them extensively in our book. So now, what are these? Now, some of these areas. There are also areas in which uh, you know some of the areas which uh, were affected by the riots. The situation is also reverse. You have areas where there uh, there is a 90 uh, 10 90, percent ratio, also broadly, approximately between Hindus and Muslims. But the the key point that I'm trying to make is that this is a demographically very uh, nuanced uh, and a very uh, you know very different kind of an area. So what we, what we see is, uh, what we discovered when we went to the field was that the violence basically have a, happened in a tri-junction of uh, shiv vihar Puri uh, mustafabad So it's a tri-junction, Tiraha. It is called a Tiraha. So this Tiraha is, in, you know, the demography of this Tiraha is what uh, will lead us to, uh, you know, certain uh, nuanced uh, conclusions about uh, how about the figures of the deaths, you know, about Muslims being 77% and uh, about uh, Hindus uh, being, uh, you know, lesser than that, though primarily this argument itself is, uh, you know, is an argument which does not work very well in situations of riots, I will also explain why I am saying that, but since the Delhi police has given this affidavit, this declaration is there, this is the only official data that we have on hand, so therefore uh, it merits discussion, because it is uh, a very uh, significant part of the narrative that is uh, going around uh, with reference to the Delhi riots. Now, uh, see uh, the first point that I would like to make is that places where there are there, is, there are maximum fatalities and and violence, I would add and violence, these are very close to Muslim majority areas. It is not as if uh, there are no Muslims in that area, or Muslims are a poor minority or a insignificant minority in these areas. I'll just give you. Uh, one small example, for instance, um, if we are talking about Shiv Bihar, which is a part of Karawal Nagar, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, a, Muslim, a Hindu majority area, just across the road from Shiv Bihar, we have Mustafa Bar, which is a Muslim majority area. So these kind of insights are there uh, if you look at the uh, geography and the democ- demography of that area. So it's a very uh, you know this this whole question of why there are more Muslim fatalities is not simplistically answered. It is not you cannot answer it in one line that there are more Muslim fatalities because uh, the Hindus attacked the Muslims. It's it's unbelievable. It is it does not stand ground. Okay. The other thing is that Muslim casualties have also happened in Muslim dominated areas like Jaffrabad. Which is close to uh, more than seventy to eighty percent Muslim dominated. Then uh, Muslim fatalities have also happened in Karabal Nagar Assembly Constituency, which is a Hindu dominated area. But this is also the place where you have the high uh, a high number of Hindu casualties. So how do you uh, you know uh, more research, more nuance is needed to you know really uh, study this data which is there in the public domain. Shiv Bihar, which is an area where uh, there are reports of, and we saw evidence of, uh, you know, uh, casualties amongst both uh, communities, also Muslims. So it is, um, it is a part of Karawal Nagar, but it is continue, contiguous with East Karawal Nagar, which is a part of Mustafa, the, the Mustafabad, uh, you know, constituency, which is a Muslim majority area. So. It is like this. These are just, you know, these are roads across the roads. Or there is a road running across where on one side you have a Muslim majority area and on one side you have a Hindu majority area. So this whole picture of, uh, you know, Northeast Delhi being a Hindu dominated area where Hindus or Hindu forces, uh, you know, Turned onto Muslims is uh, will require a lot of nuance to understand this. Okay, uh, if you look at property destruction of property, uh, government data, the data that which I which I had displayed earlier, I it does not triangulate with what we saw on. You know, we accept the data, of course. I'm not questioning that data. But uh, as a researcher, it should triangulate with what we saw. And in our book, we have uh, shown how uh, very high value, uh, you know, uh, very high value properties were destroyed, which were owned by Hindus. We pers- I, w- I will just give you one example of the Arun Modern Senior Secondary School, which we saw in Bridge Puri, in which we saw... It's a, it's a school, it's an educational establishment in which the residents as well as the owner of the school told us that, ma'am, we have 80% of our students belong to the Muslim community. So, but totally destroyed. We saw piles and piles of burnt books. Uh, it the, the amount of violence that must have gone in to pull down this school. We have uh, evidence in the book, we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, given uh, pictures, we have given uh, um, uh, insights from our interviews. So maybe at some point of time, we will have to look at what is also the maybe the number of properties destroyed by, uh, you know, is more... Belongs more to the Muslims, but that also has to be. There has to be a deeper study, a more you know, a thicker study of uh, property also. Also, some of the affected families from both communities are so poor that you know we saw that they could not even afford the last rites of their dead. So this entire Uh, You know, there are a number of things which I would like to say here also. In a riot-like situation, there are a number of missing persons also. Data on that is not available. Uh, There is uh, immediately after the riots, there was uh, the lockdown. So a lot of, uh, you know, things which could, a lot of data which could have been come up, which could have come up was, uh, you know, practically locked down. Also, when you are talking about property, uh, there was a relief camp set up at Eidga, and you know the state as well as uh, the Delhi government as well as the community was very active in you know filing for claims and for compensation. So there is a good chance that there are a number of uh, people who uh, have you know who have not yet filed compensation or, I mean, this is data which is fluid. So just to base uh, the argument that it was this was a Muslim pogrom on these two, both fatalities as well as loss of property is, in my opinion, uh, a premature conclusion and would require more, uh, you know, in-depth study. So uh, when we are talking of... Uh, When we are talking of casualties, you know, uh, in any riot, whether it's the Delhi riot or it's the Gujarat riot, or it's, you know, so many, any riot that we've had in our country, uh, it is uh, important to look at these sequence of events. I would just request the organizers to prompt me if I'm, you know, uh, going beyond time, because uh, I I mean, that's just a request. So uh, when you look at... uh, the sequence of events in, in local casualties, that is important. So in our study, we found that this was the sequence of events in uh, uh, Northeast Delhi. And this is there on the screen. We had one victim, Dinesh Kumar Khatik, shot on 24th February in the forenoon. And this was the person who was shot here from on his forehead from a distance of about 300 meters at least from the rooftop of rajasthani school which you know many people told us leads to the conclusion that this is not the this is the work of trained snipers trained shooters vinod kumar kashyap was another victim who lost his life on 24th february night out shopping medicines for his grandson who was ill by 9:30 at night in the same area dilbar negi uh, was killed in a in a very gruesome manner. Then you had Prem Singh, uh, a rickshaw puller, on the uh, morning of 24th February, 25th February. Again, he was out shopping for milk at 8 a.m. These are cases which we have documented. Rahul Solanki, when he goes out on the same day to uh, on 24th February to, you know, buy milk. By groceries, Rahul Singh on 24th February, a few meters away from his house, and again Ankit Sharma, I'm sorry, uh, the chronology is a little, uh, you know, so Ankit Sharma on 25th February in Shiv Vihar in the evening. Uh, Muslim casualties largely start appearing, this is a study in progress, they largely start appearing. Around the night of February 25th or 26th, indicating the possibilities of a retaliatory violence. And we, you know, uh, once we had submitted a report, and uh, subsequently, police investigations are coming out, FIRs are slowly coming out in the, into the public domain, and all this is being corroborated by uh, police investigations. So, uh, more or less, uh, I don't uh, really know if this is the way that a Muslim pogrom would be, uh, would look, uh, if this is what a Muslim pogrom would look like. It is more likely uh, a riot in which retaliatory violence uh, then happened. Okay, so I've already spoken about uh, incomplete data as far as uh, properties are considered. Um, value of properties also have already spoken sequence of events is also important when you look at the destruction of property because that would actually the sequence of events of casualties which is very difficult to establish in a right situation very difficult to establish so uh, and also the sequence of destruction of uh, properties which may be a little easier to establish because Unfortunately, you're killing a human being, disposing him off in a drain. You find his body on a particular day, then forensics are involved in estimating the time of his death and also very, very difficult to describe, very difficult to establish a sequence of events as far as casualties are considered. But, uh, you know, both these things are important uh, Uh, to reach a conclusion which has been uh, so glibly, so, you know, easily reached by this narrative that uh, is there uh, with reference to the Delhi riots that it was a Muslim pogrom, uh, raises questions on that narrative. So if it was not a Muslim pogrom, which is a conclusion that we can safely move towards what was it really? See many of the reports that are there in the public domain with reference to uh, the uh, Delhi riots 2020, uh, very surprisingly uh, start the study of the Delhi riots from 23rd February 2020, which was the day that the violence was initiated. This is a declaration made publicly. by by reports which have been given by statutory bodies like the Delhi Minorities Commission. And this is very surprising and very astonishing that they have declared that they are not looking at events before 23rd February 2020, whereas our book looks at our study, looks at these events before 23rd February 2020, which are significant in understanding the sequence of events as they occurred in Northeast Delhi. So broadly, we could... Look at you know because uh, you know uh, four phases because uh, the the decision to go into uh, northeast Delhi and you know study those riots was not a knee jerk decision. We are residents of Delhi. We had been observing what was happening in Delhi ever since um, the CA was notified and passed in the parliament and notified. So we were looking at we were living the experience of Delhi sinking into chaos and therefore for us it was a logical conclusion to go into uh, northeast Delhi when the riots happened and it was also very clear the linkages with what was happening before was also very clear. So we look at it broadly as four phases starting from roughly around 15 December a day or two here and there um, where on 15 December there was violence in Jamia and AMU. It was Uh, it can in no way be characterized as student protest. It was outright street violence. We have described it in detail in our book. And this led to, predictably led to police action in no country in the world. Can you destroy public property and lead Um, A locality into such a dangerous, potentially dangerous street fight without inviting uh, police action. So there was police action which quickly led to the establishment of, you know, the entrenchment of Shaheen Bagh and other CAA protest sites all over Delhi, many in Northeast Delhi. We have all the details in our books tabulated and uh, date-wise in our book. So uh, that you know these phases are not compartmentalized they flow into each other so after that uh, we have also there is this uh, plea that is often uh, you know heard in the heard in our country that these anti ca sites were democratic peaceful etc etc with evidence we have spoken about this in our book that these were far from peaceful so uh however uh, in the next phase, these protest sites settled into a pattern they also settled into a pattern because a very rapidly uh, uh, elections in Delhi were announced, and uh, you know there was a larger political framework which was imposed on the whole issue so uh, so uh. After the establishment of Shaheen Bagh, then we see the, we saw, we observed the development of a model which we have in our book called the Shaheen Bagh model. And uh, so uh, that model entailed you know certain activities which were coordinated throughout the anti C A protest sites in Delhi. So blocking of metro stations developed as a part of this model. So we had elections, we have documented the number of speeches which can actually be categorized as hate speeches um, uh, we had uh, leaders like Amaratullah khan uh, you know playing to the galleries and i would like to here point out the uh, the issue that i raised in one of my early slides that there is political mobilization which is backed by electoral you know which is largely electoral in nature and there is appeal to specific communities so that is how a pogrom is planned, and but we see that it is being rather than it being a you know a pogrom aimed at Muslims, it was coming from leaders of the Muslim community. So uh, the book contains these details. So nature of mobilization was largely along communal lines, especially in combination with the anti-CAA stance, which was taken by uh, many political parties. Elections got over, results were announced on 11th. But from about 10th of February, there was an escalation. We see uh, there are calls for uh, marches, we have, uh, uh, you know, in the public domain, videos of uh, leaders from the Congress uh, Party. Some of the students, uh, student leaders, were now under arrest for this case. Baharao march hai, baharao march hai. So this march thing became, you know, come out for a march, come out in the streets. This was uh, the, uh, you know, kind of uh, idea. This was the kind of call that was being given. So uh, as another week passes, uh, we, uh, you know, zoom down to events on around 23rd February. This is also the time when uh, the president of the of USA was scheduled to come to India. And then you have uh, events happening specifically in jafrabad in the early morning on 23rd February, we have given blow-by-blow detail in our book where the Bad metro station was jammed and this was not the first time we have given in our book details of how many times metro stations were jammed in that entire area. So uh, now uh, I was trying to, uh, you know, in in our book we have this map. Uh, Now Jaffrabad is one road which, you know, it stretches out like this and then It's along, it's called the the Chyasat futa Road, which is the road, which is the bone of contention. And then along this road, you have uh, Jafrabad, you have areas like Kardampuri, you have areas like Kabir Nagar, a little further, you have Silampur. Also on the Chyasat futa Road, you have a number of schools, educational establishments, Class 12th exams, CBSC board exams were scheduled on uh, 24th February. So on 23rd February, you have protesters from Jaffra, uh, you know, moving into the Jaffrabad metro station, women protesters largely. And then eventually a few hours into the morning, uh, both carriageways on the Jaffrabad uh, road are on this chiasat road are blocked. Once you block the Chiasat-Futa road, you are blocking a population of around 25 lakhs from uh, access from outside, because you already have uh, Chand which is blocking Bhajanpura, And so you are closing in a population of 25 lakhs. Plus, this is also a day in which CBSE board exams are there, and local residents are at the edge. They're Children cannot go to school to give their example. Total situation of total chaos because the metro station and the carriageways are blocked. The police also blocks those roads to prevent any uh, untoward incident from happening. So uh, this was the situation on 23rd. February was already Jaffrabad, this Shastat-Futa road. There were already skirmishes happening between... Hindu populations living in, uh, you know, Kardampuri and the locals out there were actually really quite agitated. We met people from both communities told us this, that the situation there was really tense. So, um, a little bit more on the model. The model works like this. You uh, establish an anti ca protest site, then you block metro stations, then you block key arterial roads and then you uh, uh, you know within the anti-CAA protest sites there is huge amount of polarization on the basis of an anti-CAA stand happening so you know it is all there in the public domain I just need I will just mention here that one single poem that is out and that became so popular in the in Shaheen Bagh and in the anti ca protest site sab yaad rakha jayega if you look at that poem that is a that is a media creation that could flamox, that could agitate any normal person the kind of lighting used the kind of lyrics used the kind of facial expressions used and it and this was this high decibel Polarization was happening all along since December uh, 2019 in all these anti ca protest sites and ultimately leading up to events of 23rd February. So also there were Azadi marches. I've already mentioned blocking of metro stations, blocking of uh, arterial roads. Here I would like to mention that on 23rd February 2020 itself, if there was a situation developing in Jaffra exactly the same situation was developing in South Delhi in the Malvinagar area, slightly uh, is, is more specifically called the Horsrani area, where where a second site of riot would have developed if there was it was not stopped by timely state action. So you, you had you would have had two, you would have Delhi rioting in two areas. But uh, the case, I'm mentioning the case here just to show you that, yes, there was a model that was developed. So if the, the question arises, then then who really engineered this, these riots? So there is clear evidence of uh, the involvement of urban Naxal, communist jihadi elements. Now, this is a conclusion that we reached because of what we saw on ground. Every protest site, every demonstration, every organization has a media. By media, I mean posters, slogans, flyers, pamphlets, whatever have you. That's protest media. Now, the protest media that we saw in Northeast Delhi clearly indicates, A, the involvement of outsiders and the involvement of urban Naxal communists and jihadi elements. The details are there in the book. Please look at the book. We have given you details of posters. We have given you details of slogans. We have also given you insights from field interviews with both communities, which indicates that these were outsiders and they planted a model in, they have, you know, planted and tested a model in Northeast Delhi. Now, this model also corroborates uh, corroborates with the models which are exemplified in two key Maoist documents. What are these documents? The strategy and tactics of the Indian revolution from where largely the term urban Naxal is derived. The allegation is that you pull up and call everybody urban Naxal, anybody who is anti-state urban Naxal. No, there is a definition of urban Naxal given to you by the uh, by these Maoist documents. We haven't pulled it out of thin air. It is very much there. Please, uh, the book contains a detailed analysis of these two documents, the urban perspective and the strategy and tactics of the Indian revolution. We have also looked at jihadi doctrines, which are, you know, which are largely looked at books Uh, by al madudi and many organizations that support these ideas. This is any research, any study, any book, especially ours is a study in progress. We we can, you know, go into great depths and uh, hopefully uh, come out with a second edition and many more editions. So uh, also in the book are stories of victims of both communities. We... uh, uh spent a lot of time, like I said, from 29th March to 29th February 2020 to 10th March, constantly going, talking to people from both communities. One section of the book is narratives of uh, the pain that both communities underwent. We met leaders from both communities. We met locals from both communities who told us uh, first-hand accounts of how this violence has affected them. We looked at, uh, we went to, uh, we interviewed law enforcement officers and their families to understand as many people as we could speak with, as many variables as we could study, as much uh, depth as we could achieve uh, in a period of, uh, in a period which, which rapidly, uh, you know, launched into a lockdown. So that is also there in the book. So the book itself has, uh, you know, landed up uh, attracting attention because of uh, the controversy over its deplatforming by Bloomsbury I uh, would not like to go into very much detail there, except that it's very unfortunate, uh, the relationship between a publisher and uh, an author is a very pious relationship. And unfortunately, this relationship uh, with Bloomsbury broke down uh, in uh, under pressure from a Twitter lynch mob, a social media lynch mob, which was Uh, led by the likes of uh, William Dalrymple, Atish Taseer, Swara Bhaskar, Nidhi Rastan, and they're not even, you know, it's not as if uh, uh, they lynch and hide. They're very much celebrating the deplatforming of this book, which was the number one bestseller on Amazon in uh, the category of political freedom on pre-order before it was pulled out, and the pulling out was outright an attempt to kill the book to not let the book come out into the public domain but now uh, we have uh, garuda publications garuda prakashan took up uh, the publication of this book and the links are displayed on the screen and uh, the book is available for pre order i would request everyone to uh, you know consider uh, Buying the book. It is also now going to be available in Hindi and English and we also in talks with the publication for uh, publisher for, uh, you know, uh, translations into other languages. With this, I uh, would like to thank everybody for listening to me so patiently and I would like to thank the organizers of this talk uh, for giving me this platform and for facilitating uh, a discussion on this book, which I believe has now become, the authors have dedicated this book to Bharat. It is something that the country will, uh, it's it's, it's the country's book. It's it's being written by the country at this point of time. Uh, The book is being authored by the people of Vash. Thank you. Namaskar.
1: So, Naliji, I'll start off with um, a comment and a, a question. The f- question first. So, it's pretty evident that this was, a you know, after the planning and the early incidents uh, of violence uh, by the Muslim community, when there is a backlash from the Hindu community, why does the state, and I re- recognize you may not have an answer for this because this is in the... In the range of, uh, you know, IPC Act and so on and so forth, uh, police police act. But why does the state look at both acts of violence equally? Right? There is one violence which is in defence, and there is one violence which is planned to to attack a community. That's my question, and I will make a comment also. Uh, and you may want to respond to that. Is that there are PDFs actually circulating around of your book? Um, I think Anand Ranganathan, if I'm not wrong, pointed out that it has a cover of Bloomsbury. Do you think Bloomsbury has actually leaked the PDF to harm you and Garuda? That's the second part of my question. Okay,
0: as uh, the first uh, question is, you've already answered that law is, uh, since you know law has this, uh, when we say law is blind, we, we don't mean that it doesn't see anything, but it sees everything from the perspective of established uh, legal uh, precedents and uh, in our country, the Indian Penal Court. So that situation would be something that, uh, you know, when the state looks at both Hindus and Muslims as uh, either as perpetrators or as victims. So that would be uh, that that cannot be avoided or that cannot be that can only be questioned by we are a democracy we have the right to question that but definitely that is the way that law will proceed and that is how you see it proceeding even in the case of the delhi rights as regards the pdf which is out um, um, number of people have told us as authors we are not even looking at that at this point of time we are working with Garud which is doing a brilliant job of bringing out uh, the other version. I would just like to through your platform, Rahuji, appeal to anybody who is getting the PDF, dump it, buy two copies, because this is this is what this is what Bharat is. This is how Bharat will respond. Our book was platformed by white-skinned colonialists who even in 2021, the pressure came from UK Bloomsbury under the leadership of, I will say, colonialists and their Asian compradors. I will use these words. Therefore, the people of Bharat, Varsha will respond, and they are responding. They are responding by buying five books, one PDF, five books. That is the way that this country is fighting back.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, 15,000 pre-orders at Garuda. More than that now. More than that now, Yeah, My question is,
2: whether it is a anti ca protest or anything, it is a a, a Northeast Delhi riots, the complete groundwork was done by radical Islamists. And then the fake narrative was built up by the left liberals in mainstream media. I am asking to, ma- uh, to the ma'am is that uh, how you explain the harmony between the radical Islamists and these uh, left liberals?
0: Uh, Prem Sagar Rediji, uh, that's a good question. I would just like to uh, make a minor correction. I would not like to uh, validate or glorify or you know um, uh, put the liberals along with the left. Okay, so this term left, let's let's just call them what they are on their face, radical leftists, communists. Sure, sure. sure. Okay. So, I mean, mean, it's it's, it's just an appeal, I think all of us should use this term, you know, we should not concede liberal space to them, not at all. So uh, having said that, if you look at the look at patterns all across the world, this is happening all across the world. This coming together of the left radicals and the Islamists, they are coming together all over the world where, you know, if, if the liberals do have any role to play, they are probably just sitting on the fence and unable to, you know, decide what to do or they, they, their voices are just... At least people who are coming out as liberals are not true liberals. That is what I would like to concede here. But this uh, network is happening throughout the world. And there is ample evidence you are young, you may be a student. Please make a case study and see how this is happening. Just two days ago, it just yesterday, it has happened in Sweden. All across the world, all across the world, before the anti-CA protests. I'm talking about this entire red marches which happened in countries ranging from Cuba to Pakistan to India to you know a number of countries to Lebanon to you know whole range of countries where this kind of outrage is playing up and also in the USA where this coming together is pretty much evident under the, you know, banner of uh, Black Lives Matter and, you know, other such uh, events. So you're right there, this coming together is there. It's not so much of a question that you asked, I'm, I'm just validating what you are saying.
2: First of all, I'd like to thank you actually from the bottom of my heart to in bringing about this wonderful book, actually, right. So to, to just to let you know that I already ordered five five books, I live in Sydney, by the way, so I have brought five books, um, so that I can distribute. i plan to order. I'm planning to order more, so that I can distribute to the local government officials, so that they'll get the real uh, background. What's happening there? Um, so, is more of a um, more of an, uh, kind of a comment rather than any question here. Is that as you describe what you describe in your in your in your, in your PowerPoint? Is that it's not just an an ordinary ride that people got. You know, offended by some random remark and then they got up the street and did it. It's almost like an, it, it is a very well planned um, Almost like a mini war. So in that case, how did our in Indian intelligence so badly not, not figure this out. I mean like how did they miss this and that too when when it was planned to be done when American president were there, when the whole media was there in Delhi. And it was supposed to be expected, right? You know, this is after two months after the introduction of CAA, it was planned right on the time when Trump arrives. So how did we miss that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not I'm trying to ask you a question, but I'm just like, you know, thinking aloud at this point.
0: That is a question, sir, that came up uh, many times in our minds also, and in conversation with, uh, you know, people uh, with respondents also but uh, i do agree that uh, this is something which needs to be looked into even now one of the primary reasons why we actually uh, made so much efforts to bring out this book was that we believe sir that uh, this is not the the pushback against urban naxals and jihadis will not primarily come from the state it will come when people in a democracy have to raise issues when people know what is happening, when people raise this as an important issue, when we are ready, we, when we know that, uh, you know, what are the kind of organizations that our children are going to get influenced by, when we are in, you know, as citizens of a democracy, uh, this is the only answer that I can give, that we responded to this situation by trying to bring out what is the truth out into the public domain. And eventually it may lead to uh, changes in the security establishment, the government, the you know intelligence agencies they would all have to uh, think about their roles and their uh, you know the ways of functioning. Its definitely a very core internal security issue and we have pointed it out in our book
3: Salaliji, I think uh, it is wonderful to listen to you and. Uh... Really appreciate the way you people have gone on to the disturbed areas and done so much of work. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of uh, guts and really requires to be appreciated.
0: Sir, Had we have blessings from elders us, like
3: you. We, we thank you for doing all this work.
0: Sir, this is a blessing from elders like you, sir.
3: Thank you so much. Let me just say this. Now, who have put across the the models have been worked out. They appear to have been worked out over a period of time in a very nice, smooth way, all over the world, from here to Lebanon, to USA, wherever it is. Now the possibilities of this getting duplicated and triplicated in our country exists. Is it so? Will it be possible? And what can we do to stop
0: that? We saw this happening very rapidly in Bangalore. And uh, we have just seen it happening in Sweden uh, yesterday. So the danger is very much there that this model would be replicated. And uh, what can be done about it is, see, it's very clear that even the uh, law enforcement in the state is forced to uh, recognize that these kind of things are happening. Investigations are taking place. It will be a slow process, sir, but uh, I am a person who is fundamentally by nature very optimistic and I have a lot of faith in the people of this country and also uh, by extension the people who run establishments in the, uh, the government in this country. So let us hope that Things will change. It's, it's a pushback which is, see, you know, once you uh, once you study the Urban Naxal Network or the Jihadi Network, you realize that it is very well entrenched. It is not an easy fight. It is not going to be an easy pushback either for citizens or for the state. Uh, you can see it's not been easy for us to write this book. We were deplatformed. So, uh, but nevertheless, Dharmo uh, Rakshati Rakshata. Things will go on.
4: Thank you very much, uh, ma'am. Uh, wonderful exposition because we all, first of all, need to know the truth. And in such uh, chaotic situations, truth also suffers. A lot of uh, untruths are mixed and sold along with truths. Like you said, uh, you know, the Muslim casualties are more, so there was a program, and that was the narrative which was being built. Uh, a few specific questions come to mind. I am personally very very grateful that uh, somehow it has come to such a space where at least your book will come out and I am trying to do whatever I can to make sure that at least a million copies are sold in record time Um, and and hopefully that will happen. Um, One thing which comes to mind and I have come to know about it in snippets here and there is that there was a seed element of about three four hundred people. Who were outsiders? Who were kind of trained uh, people? Like you gave one example that somebody was shot from 300 meters. Uh, it is it is not an ordinary guy shooting somebody randomly. So such trained elements were used. They came, they started the riots, and then they silently they were washed away. Also, once it was burning. This pattern is now you have very, very clearly said is going on. What I want to know is whether our investigation has been able to reach anywhere near this in, inner core layer. That is one question which I have. Second is that this pattern is very clearly this way. That the brain work and brainchild is leftist, communist, Maoist and in urban perspective. Because maximum damage happens in, um, in in urban areas, and the brown is being supplied by jihadist element by and large, and we all know which are the epicenters of these two now in the world. The epicenter of Maoist thought is, is somewhere in China, and jihadist thought is somewhere in, uh, in in Middle East. Let us say. So I would like you to comment on both of this because once this model is known then only better results can be obtained at a state and at a systematic level. I mean, if a riot happens, there'll be some response, there'll be some violence one way or other, and then that is uncontrolled. So what I want to know is because a work like yours is both a record and a research. And research means newer truths should come out. So in that sense, there has to be a template for future in that sense I'm asking. This. Thank you.
0: Uh-huh. I'll respond to that. I uh, would. Uh, there are a number of things uh, which you have said. Primarily, uh, two things. Firstly, that yeah, the involvement of you know uh, snipers and involvement of people from outside who came in groups and who uh, organized the attack and then left. Investigations into this is going on very early uh, in the entire uh, uh, you know process. Uh, it was uh, it was found that there are uh, these specific groups uh, of uh, you know people uh, belonging to uh, you know owing their ideas are similar to what the PFI the Popular Front of India has, and also these are these are also criminal elements you know criminal in elements from outside the city in from outside uh, Delhi they were bought in uh, investigations on this would be definitely going on there and we will you know uh, in our second edition we are planning to bring out uh, a whole uh, you know a couple of chapters on uh, these kind of uh, developments because uh like like i told you the our uh, this present edition is based on just on the ground report which we did from 29 february to 11th uh, 10th of march so that is very much on the cards As far as uh, your comment on uh, the brain and the brawn, uh, you know, it's uh, divided. It is there, but it is also not there, I would say, because there are very, in in the Delhi riots, you see, there is a very well-established group of people with brains, students who are supposedly people with brains, upholding the jihadist ideology, clearly saying that we are not secular. We are, you know, we we belong to the, uh, you know, jihadist ideology. We we will uphold only what, uh, you know, they're supporting uh, their idols are people from the Khilaf, Fat movement. Their idols are people who, you know, clearly say that well, there should be, you know, a jihadist uh, model being uh, followed in India. So they are trying to give. If you look at, I, you know, hear the speech of Shahji Imam i have heard every word every minute 45 minutes almost 45 minutes speech what he says is he is very clear that what india needs is a different kind of a muslim politics and that muslim politics is closer to the deoband jihadi al madudi kind of uh, you know principles than what uh, we have uh, so far felt that uh, you know um should be the way that uh, you know um, communities different communities in this country should uh, you know follow constitution focused on the indian constitution so uh, this uh, brain brawn uh, thing also needs uh, some more uh, you know investigation and some more research now i think the both the urban naxals also supply the brain and the brawn and the jihadists will also supply the brain and the brawn it may differ in degrees but uh it's there. Thank, Thank
4: you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I was asking essentially in the sense that obviously it's multi layered. Yeah, so yeah. What is visible, there is some very clear, invisible layers behind it and they reach deep. Yeah. yeah. So my question was whether they reach right up to China and whether there is yeah, any evidence yeah. you
0: have been Definitely. able to. Definitely, that is that is a line which we are covering in subsequent research, and uh, even investigations have indicated that uh, Gulf money was supplied. Gulf money, routed through various channels through Malaysia through Singapore, was supplied. This is very much there. Investigations have revealed. Police has gone on record to say that this is this has happened. So, China, of course, the uh, links are um, maybe primarily ideological and they they may be monetary also one, one is still one that's an interesting aspect which i think researchers and the government should look at thank you so much for raising that point very valid point
5: namaskar ma'am uh, and very congratulations for uh, fighting back and coming with your book and mm. it will be interesting for us to read my mm. one question is that in this riot, we have seen that the Tahir Hussain, who basically belongs from the Amroha, Uttar Pradesh, mm-hmm. doing meeting with the guy who is from Kashmir, studied in JNU, and in the office, which has the headquarters in Kerala, and the people moved from different states to the Delhi for doing riot. So, do you have any chapter in your book for this interstate linking
6: uh,
0: of no, this we- Delhi riot? Uh, no, Pati ji, we have focused just on the Delhi rights at this point of time. But uh, we will be uh, definitely taking in your suggestion and expanding the scope of the study because that is how it works, actually. What you said, uh, you know, we took a larger picture and there is still a larger picture to take. So that's how uh, any research or any uh, study would develop. Uh, and uh, that's a very vital point that you have indicated. What we do know is that... Uh, most of the outrage in the anti ca protests, it focused around Kashmir. A large part of it was Kashmir. A large part of it was also Azadi for something which they already have. Ham kya chahe Azadi. Azadi which is already there. Many of these slogans were deliberately raised in front of temples. Uh, I'm speaking about uh, Malvinagar. Many of these slogans were Deliberately la- raised in front of temples, lusty sloganeering for long times, I don't know what uh, is the logic for choosing the temple as a site, for a temple as a site for such sloganeering. The logic obviously is that communities should come to the brink of a conflict, and that's what we have stated in our book. And your suggestion is very valid. These linkages would obviously need to be studied in greater detail.
4: And uh, thanks a lot, Student Foundation. Uh, My uh, question is, uh, there are certain organizations which I would like to name, uh, PFI, SDPI, Campus Front of India, and Karnataka Forum for Dignity. So when are these going to be actually banned? Because I'm waiting since uh, like five years to uh, see them being banned.
2: And the second thing is, what's next?
0: As regards banning of organizations, let me tell you one thing. Uh, We have studied uh, urban naqsa theory, jihadi theory, and organizations in great detail. The detail that we have studied them in is probably not documented in the book because there is always a format of a book. Let me tell you, these are networks. And the nature of these networks is such, ban one, second will take birth okay so you saw that when semi was banned so banning is important but should not be the primary focus of uh, you know state action i feel greater say effectiveness will be if you are actually tracking and you know uh, actively collecting intelligence which i suppose which i believe would be going on. It's a process. I would be the last person to say that security agencies or intelligence agencies are not doing what they should be doing because that's a very uh, glib conclusion which any citizen can reach. But uh, so banning does not stop. Banning will only change the nature of the organization. The ideas are more important. Ideas need to be understood. Ideas need to be countered. Ideas need to be questioned Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the second part of uh, of what you said. One was on the banning, the other was on. What next? What next? Next is another uh, long and detailed second edition of the same book. And we hope that uh, that will, uh, by that time, uh, such, uh, we have such informed citizens that they are able to, you know, uh, prevent a next event or understand the next event that is happening, that is likely to happen around them and counter that.
5: So The first question is, while all this is happening, uh, I mean, what happened to the, this is the capital of the country, so presumably it's happening under the noses of both the central and the state government. I mean, how did this go on for so long, and uh, I mean, why? This is a big question that uh, bothers me all the time. Because uh, we say that rule of law means that the state has a monopoly on violence, but clearly, situation has been reversed for months. Then I'll come to my suggestions and comments. You answer this after you answer.
0: It happens in the capital. Uh, where the central government is there, uh, where, uh, you know, uh, the home ministry should have uh, responded in a better way. These are all very valid questions that uh, should be raised in a democracy and were raised, are being raised, and uh, some of them have been uh, also, uh, answered in the parliament by the Home Minister uh, as a democratic citizen, you and I have the right to be dissatisfied with his answer and answer it in, you know, expect a greater performance. All that is there. Uh, yet, one must also look at the fact that uh, this is not something new happening in our country, The mod- this time the model is different. However, this is a continuous problem, not just in our country. Can you see the scale at which is ha- it is happening across the world? If it is happening in Sweden, it's happening in USA, it's happening in France, then there is obviously a larger uh, dynamic at work, which Possibly governments have to study in greater detail and be better prepared for. I concede that point completely to anybody who has a question to raise uh, and to question the performance of any government. Uh, your second
5: point? It goes directly to your model, the idea of a model. Okay. Uh, I think uh, this model is not anything new, it is just that information travels much faster. It's, ever since the internet was invented. Okay. Because if you look at uh, the Iranian revolution of 1979, it's not very different how the mobilization took place and how the overthrow of the Shah took place and what subsequently happened. It is not very different. It's just that uh, things that happen in Sweden take only seconds now to come through, come to you through social media. That's uh, my opinion. So, I mean... Uh, This kind of thing used to be very slow earlier because of communication problems. And a third point, uh, a suggestion for you is that uh, you say that there is a lot of information that you cannot put out in a book, which is understandable. But I think you can put it out in the form of digital archives, which should be available to future researchers. And now that you've teamed up with a new publisher, maybe you should think of these digital archives that can be corrected and expand it as more information comes to light, So that could be an additional resource for the people who read the book and want to go forward, like students who want to do research on this topic.
0: Definitely. That's a very valid suggestion and a very good suggestion. We'll definitely take it up with the publishers. Thank you so
1: much for that suggestion. Thanks for the presentation. Uh, I have one quick question on the, on the same thing. Um, what are your views on encountering these types of riots for uh, resident people like us? Like, it is neither the first nor the last right which will, um, which has happened or which will uh, further happen. So, what are your takes on that?
0: That's a very tough question to answer. What can a citizen do? A citizen, citizens in a democracy need to have faith in the process of law, but what we saw in the field uh, was uh, that locals had to come out and defend themselves. The first preparation, I would say, is is the first step that uh, we need to do is to understand what is happening. And a lot of people don't understand what is happening. They don't uh, realize that it is happening. They don't realize the theory, the models that the, uh, that leads to such writing. As locals, as citizens of a democracy, we cannot be vigilante. But I think preparation inside the mind to defend our lives and properties and our culture and our nation is something that all citizens should
1: undertake. Thank you. I want to come in and make a little comment here as citizens as and as uh, Hindus, you know, this is not to do with the riots, uh, specifically can't answer that. But in general, uh, a lot of Hindu organizations, uh, you know, all over the place, I could name hundreds of them upward uh, Indic collective uh, us, of course, but you know, uh, Shiv Shakti, agniveer tens and hundreds of them if if i may ask all the participants here a few suggestions is all of the organizations or largely all of the organizations are generally cash trapped and half the problem is that they are not able to carry on with their or they carry on with their campaigns and programs in spite of um, you know their being cash trapped please go out and donate figure out one two three organizations figure out an X percentage of your monthly income, and please start donating. No questions asked. We Hindus ask too many questions. Where is my money going? Is this not be used? Will this use it? Climb a flight and spend it on? All this nonsense has to stop. Please start donating. Okay. The other side do not ask questions. Neither the Marxists do, nor the Islamists, nor the Christians. They donate 10% of their income to the church and the masjid. Only we people ask questions. We only keep giving advice to our organizations. Every week I receive emails about advice of what else should I do. You should translate all your videos, dub your videos in Tamil and Malayalam. I mean, we are doing all of this, all self-funded. Forget about us every every week i'm now running campaigns to support some organization shiv shakti brilliant organization upward indic collective agniveer please choose one or two organizations start donating monthly no questions asked three years don't ask questions
6: 12, 12 months into three thank you uh good morning uh, Sonali Ji, and pleasure connecting with you and congratulations on your book uh, well i have one question and a comment here a uh, question I have is that uh, you know uh, in your book have you mentioned the connection of the you know the Open Society Foundation uh, and funding coming from there for the Delhi riots, the connection uh, Trump's visit and Modi's visit, Modi ji's visit to US, is that is that been addressed? Uh, this is my question. Uh, if you can answer this, then I'll make a comment uh, later on.
0: George Soros is two books in himself is he and his, uh, you know, chaos theories and applications of these theories throughout the world are two books. We haven't really gone much into that at this point of time, but uh, up on the cards.
6: The Wikipedia's funding, which it raised, I mean, which was used in all these riots in Delhi and then probably in Bangalore. I mean, I I think I'm expecting that in the other uh, book, which you write. (laughs) Uh, and the comment I want to make is that you know uh, I have a I have a young son and I mean the youth needs to understand we are already already understanding but uh, the you know the the coming youth needs to understand what exactly are being they taught being secular is good but understanding why being secular uh, should needs to be taught so uh, I wanted to, to actually uh, ask you or make a comment that is there any kind of uh, uh, comment on the people whom our children look up to. As idols and when they are like Bollywood and you know on our social workers who are coming up in support of CAA so they look up to them and they understand and build a wrong narrative so your comment on that
0: probably the reform of the educational system is one of the uh, most urgent agendas that needs to be undertaken we have detailed chapters on how universities Became the focus for this entire uh, uh, writing. There cannot be anything more tragic than having your child involved in breaking the nation. And uh, unfortunately, there is so much of work to be done, and uh, so little time. But yes, I, I do. I do understand your concern as a mother myself. I understand your concern.
4: For some reason, I suppose you have not uh, been very forthcoming. I'm sorry to say that, but very forthcoming on the role of uh, the security agencies in general and specifically the people who had the watch over this, first watch over this, which was Delhi Police. And I would uh, very quickly contrast uh, from your own uh, presentation two incidents. I know I was watching, I have seen the videos of Malvinagar. It was exactly, it would have been uh, the case, and the, the, the damage to property would have been five times if riots would have happened in that area. I have lived in Malvinagar. Nagar. But uh, police very quickly, Lathi charged and uh, dispersed, and, and, uh, and uh, at least uh, there were not two epicenters of the rioting in Delhi because of that quick action. Uh, i feel that other place the police was more into reconciliation etc rather than into quick action i remember from 1992 the same area which was similarly de- demographically uh, there in 1992 at the time of ramjan bhoomi i remember the police uh, the same they had a curfew people tried to come out from a particular community and they tried to attack police police opened fire 12 or 13, a goodly number, were shot down and from the next day onward, the whole area was peaceful. While I am neither an expert of policing nor I should be giving any recommendation per se, but then certain proofs of the pudding are in eating it, I personally feel that going too soft on certain things, certain things are undesirable. And if there are undesirable actions, there will have to be some undesirable, unpalatable consequences. Would you like to revisit and say a few things uh, uh, more on this, please?
0: Yeah, I would like to respond to that. Uh, We had detailed interviews, detailed data collection uh, with the Delhi police also. And uh, very well aware of the 1992 situation in Sihlampur. Also, uh, what we realized was that uh, there are two things here. That 1992 onwards, situations in Northeast Delhi have, they have undergone a change. In 2011, it is one of the most densely populated district. One of it is the most densely populated districts of uh, Delhi. We asked them. We asked the police why was there? There is a you know there is a perception that there wasn't any action and that there could have been you know uh, stricter action. So uh, what we realized was that uh, at this point of time this is an area especially the silompur jafarabad belt is an area which is extremely densely populated populated it is also in that area it is a center of criminal activity ranging from drugs to uh, illegal arms to what have you so uh, basically a very, very combustible situation in that area. is see, the police in that area, the Northeast district police are policing that area every day, every single day. So for them to, you know, I, I would give them the benefit of doubt. They tried their level best to, you know, actually look at uh, situ- the situation in the way they could. The second point that I would like to bring in here, which I have bought in as and uh, you know, I have bought in very strongly, is that this movement, it is unfortunate that I have to say it on a public platform, was the women, the women were at the front in this uh, entire anti CAA movement. Uh, they were put up in the front. It's a very classic leftist tactic. Which is being picked up by these jihadists. Normally, the community does not push its women to the front. And that is what made policing very complicated. And also, I have said that that is also what led to what I would label as a gender side against state agencies. It is something that you witness in uh, witnessed in these uh, riots something very specific something very different that you witness in these riots going against women is not something that a state agency would want to uh, call upon itself in a large way in the 21st century in 2020 in the day of intense media scrutiny in a situation where our democracy has also developed in a particular direction. That is
5: as much as I will concede on this platform today.